Come with me for a moment to a place that defies time. The servers have white aprons and soda jerker hats, and over the clinking of metal spoons and malt cups, you're greeted by the warm aroma of bacon. We're at Johnny Rockets, or as Hugh calls it, Johnny Rockets. And my kids are helping me navigate my phone so I can record this conversation. In a moment, my daughter is going to say something that accidentally reveals one of the weirdest mysteries about self-care. Whitney Meek and Natalie Matson unpack it with me. We pay homage to Prudence from the 1800s. You'll meet her. The history of naps, Gen X, the atom bomb. All of that is coming up before this episode is over. We're going to shine a light on a blind spot that no one talks about. Maybe because we couldn't talk about it until now. Welcome to The Lisa Show, where we take a good look at life. Okay. Ask me the question, and I'll hold it. Oh, okay. Oh, thank you. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question. When I say self-care, what what do you think it is? I think self-care is when you take time for yourself just to recharge and to really listen to what you personally need. Whether it's time away from people or just time to appreciate and love yourself without having to be in the presence of others, I guess. Okay, so that's interesting. Now, you'll remember from our last episode, or really just if you know anything about me, this is nothing like at least what I would call my own preferred self-care. And so I think I was probably looking for a common link when I asked Margaret. Do you ever feel like that? Or is it always like by yourself when you think self-care? I think that I get the best self-care when I'm alone. Um, But that doesn't mean that I won't ever feel it when I'm around people. And knowing my daughter, I wasn't surprised at all by this answer because we are wired so differently in this way. Do you see me do self-care? Yeah, I mean, like, you seem your happiest, like, when you're just with us, you know, like when you're with your kids and stuff, so... Okay, so now I want to ask you, Hugh... What, what's what like? What's self-care to you? Like I say that it's a kind of a buzzword and that kind of stuff. But I want to know what like your generation thinks it is. I don't mean to sound lame, but just she said everything I was gonna say, so I just second what Margaret says. That's great. That's really cool. Then. So my kids believe in self-care. They can define it or ditto it, like you did. At this point, something occurred to me that could change this whole conversation about self-care. But first, I needed one more perspective from my side of the table. That's good. Okay, so I'm here with my sister-in-law, Suzanne. We're the same generation. Do you think that your mom practiced self-care, and would she ever call it that? Not for one second, and no. (laughs) Please elaborate. If I'm thinking back, I can never think of a time when I saw my mom exercise, go for a walk, spend time with friends. Really? All of my memories of her are working, but then coming home and making dinner and taking us where we needed to be and just... So then how has that affected the way that you view self-care? Self-care is tricky for me. I definitely believe I have a hard time accepting... Self-care. Is that even a thing? Oh, totally. Like, do you feel a lot of shoulds of things you should or, like, guilt? Yeah, sometimes my kids want to rub my feet or... And I say, no, 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 no. Like, you don't need to do that. I'll rub your feet. I have a hard time... Wait, your kids want to rub your feet? 100%. Did you hear that, Margaret and Hugh? (laughs) Oh, brother. (laughs) 
I have a hard time accepting that. I, I feel, maybe I don't know if this is the example of my mother, but I'm driven to serve and to give. Normally, I would chalk up the differences in the way I approach self-care and the way my kids do to the fact that we have very different personality types and needs, which we've got a whole episode dedicated to that later this series. Suzanne's right with them. She needs her alone time. But what all of us could relate to was that mom's self-care is not our self-care. Maybe she didn't do it, or maybe it looked non-existent because it didn't match our own definition of self-care. Margaret only mentioned what I had described to her about what self-care is for me, which makes me wonder if in 10, 20 years, she'll be saying the same thing Suze and I do about our parents. Maybe self-care evaporates and has to be reinvented by each new generation. Only one thing was for sure. Here in this 1950s burger joint on a 21st century Tuesday night, there was one form of self-care immune to the passage of time. I love that. And if the ambiance sounds a little bit noisy, it's intended because we're out to eat because part of my self-care is cheese fries. So I feel real good about that choice tonight. Cheese fries. My mom is still very vivacious, and she would not want me to tell you her age, but she's retired, so I'll just leave it at that. And it's funny because she and my dad are retired, but they are very reluctant to to use the word retired because they want to account for all the things that they do during the day, which is a lot. So you'll go over there and you'll be like, oh, I wish I were retired or whatever. And um, it's funny because they'll... If my dad's like, we slept in till nine, my mom's like, well, well, just just today, you know, like there's always kind of a qualifier for it because I, I don't think that either one of them wants to ever appear lazy, which is ridiculous because they are the opposite of lazy. They are the most, you know, productive, just energetic people. And they've always kind of been like that. So when I think back to growing up with my mom, I think, did she use self-care? You know, she wouldn't have used that word, right? And so whatever kind of buzzword or trendy sort of self-care thing that was happening, you know, while I was growing up in the 80s or 90s, like if it was like getting your hair done or your nails done or getting a massage or whatever, I don't think, oh yeah, she did that religiously to take care of herself. I don't think so. But, you know, she always looked put together. She always just kind of did what she wanted to do, and she was in charge of her own schedule. And now that I'm older, I I think, oh, you know what? My mom had really good boundaries, and I never realized it growing up, but I do now, because maybe that's something I've struggled with. More on that later. You know, my mom used to get kind of teased, you know, in our neighborhood because she would, like, wake up and put on makeup and get dressed for the day, right? Like, she wore dresses and stuff because that's how she wanted to be and how she wanted to show up. And I remember her making a couple of comments like, what do they care? You know, like, so I like to put on some mascara and lipstick before I cross my kids across the street for school. Like, big deal. It's, you know, I'm I'm not taking a ton of time doing it. This is just kind of how I want to live. And I love that she was so confident about just doing things that other people around her weren't doing. She was one of the only stay-at-home moms that I knew growing up. You know, it was really unusual to go over to my friends' houses and have their mom, you know, kind of be there or whatever. And so 
a lot of people came and hung out at my house, and and my mom loved that. Um, and she didn't care that other people, what they thought about, you know, whether she should work or whatever. And I feel like that was a form of self-care. You know, looking back, she had five kids. You know, I've had five kids. And my dad was gone a lot. He was in international business and traveled a lot. And, <laughs> you know, when you look back and you see a situation differently. I remember just thinking, you know, as a kid, most kids think, well, I should have access to my mom at all times, <laughs> you know, whenever I feel like it, coming home from school or looking for her, just yelling, mom, mom, mom. And if on the rare occasion I would find her lying on her bed, she would never say, you woke me up from a nap or like I was sleeping, which is something that I have said to my children. She would say, oh, I was just resting my eyes, just resting my eyes. You know, you can't say... Oh, I was taking a nap because I'm exhausted. She just had a different way, I think, of branding self-care. And it makes a lot of sense, too, because, you know, she's a really sort of humble, down-to-earth person. You know, she doesn't want to call a lot of attention to herself. She doesn't want to talk about herself a lot. And, you know, she's such a, you know, giving, kind person that she was going to take care of business for herself, but that was personal. And that was internal. And I think self-care has become such a, a common thing to talk about that at least with me and my generation, you know, we will have a conversation as if giving each other permission a little bit. Like, well, what do you do for self-care? Or you should take a nap. You really need a massage. You should go get your nails done. You deserve it. You know, kind of encouraging people to do it. And that's the way that I talk with my friends. You know, I'll say, you know, you need to get regular sleep. What can I do to help you? Don't feel guilty taking a nap during the day if you need to. You've got an extreme situation with this or that or the other. Um, and so we talk so much more openly about it, I think, than past generations do. So while my mom might not have used the word self-care, I did learn a lot of lessons about self-care. You know, and what comes to mind are the basics, right? Like, you are no good unless you get enough sleep, right? And eat healthy and drink enough water and um, and and really live the kind of life that you want to live and not wait for permission or try to imitate what kind of life you think your friends or society or whatever is telling you that you're going to and, and how you spend your days. And to me, those are really great basic self-care principles that, you know, like many things from our childhoods, right, we can take for granted that we knew until, you know, we don't get those things or until we need to mix it up or do something different. My mom will always talk about her mom in the terms of, you know, she worked hard her whole life. She had a hard life. She worked hard. And my mom wanted to be like her mom a lot, just, I think, kind of like I want to be like my mom, of volunteering and being with the kids a lot and using her art you know, they were all, Margaret and my mom and myself, we loved to draw and paint and, and do those kinds of things for self-care. We wouldn't call it self-care. And, and I do notice that there is sort of this sense of maybe underlining guilt if you're not, you know, working. And I think that this comes generationally, right, from society, but also from people who like my grandmother and my mother and myself who, you know, really want to make a difference in the world and, and you know, work hard and be seen as someone who's contributing. And, and sometimes we overvalue that and it can cause some unintended guilt when we want to have some downtime or when we need downtime, when we are just resting our eyes 
or painting something that isn't for, you know, a school carnival or for a, uh, you know, a church event, but is just for ourselves. And in thinking about my grandma and my mom and myself, I think we need to push past that stigma of guilt to really live the life we want to live. Self-care has existed forever in different forms, but maybe like under a different name or and certainly in different attitudes. So I'm here with Whitney and Natalie, um, friends of The Lisa Show. We're really going to have some fun with, and we're going to call this self-care across the generations. generations, uh, generations. generations. Go back with me in time, <laughs> if you will. I will. Let's not go too far back. Okay. I mean, we could. We could Cave go way men, back. But, Cavemen, you know. yeah, but... So what, what if I said <laughs> self-care in the 1800s, what would that look like, do you think? In the 1800s? Just living self-care. past the age of 30 was probably self-care. That was self-care. <laughs> Not getting dysentery was, you know, would be amazing. Washing your hands was probably like a <laughs> novel That's thing. That's probably sure, true. Sure. Like I mean, people bathing didn't even know once that a month. washing hands was like a necessary thing until, you know, in the 1900s. That's true. Isn't that crazy? I, that is weird. And thinking in the 1800s, like, yeah, was that like avoiding surgery at all costs? Mm-hmm. Like self-care? Mm-hmm. But what if you like needed, you had, you know, your 11 kids, you're on the farm. <laughs> one sending one bedroom the cabin. Yeah, and a one bedroom cabin. And you cabin. just have that one kid and you're like, go to the barn. Yeah. <laughs> Bail the hay, dude. I, like, got, I Mom needs 10 minutes. <laughs> I wonder I if that is why so many children were birthed. It was like, you run the farm. I will be able to stay inside during the harsher months. I just love the idea of, like, childbirth somehow leads to better self-care. you know, 12 labors later, I'm actually in a better place. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) I have more helpers here. I I do feel like community... Was such a big thing back yeah, then, that right? Been that's more true, about, huh? Like, that's all, a good point. I feel like you always hear stories about all these women who traded, you know, stories of you know how to best, you know, treat this wound or how to the best recipe if you had spoiling this kind of vegetables. Oh, or, yeah. And I even, you know, what's crazy? My husband's been fascinated by this. There was actually a period of time, and I don't know if it's like universal, but there's a period of time around the Regency era. When um, people only slept like four hour chunks. Yes. Oh, and then like they, they would socialize yep. in the middle of the night. And then they would, yeah, do That's a second crazy. sleep. They would go to bed like when it was still huh. light outside. And then, yeah, they would like socialize around like 8 or, you know, 10 p.m. or something. And then around like 3, they'd go to sleep again. That's Which crazy. Which is so interesting because think about how many people right now, any generation, complain mm-hmm. about sleep and sleeping habits. Sure. Oh, I'm having totally. a hard time falling asleep. I'm having yeah. a hard time staying well, asleep. My sleep technology, hygiene, blah, 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 Before electricity, blah. I imagine sleep was a much different thing. Yeah. You, you worked yourself into some good sleep probably. So, I mean, I think socializing, I mean, the, any any chance they could, right? In every Jane Austen yeah. book, they're, like, trying to throw a ball. That's but true. But you just look at, like, on the farm, that was their version of the socializing. It was just, like, get all the women together and let's just, like, you know, while we're darning socks or while we're yeah. making butter, let's chat. Let's be together. I like that, that connection for self-care mm-hmm. for sure. And the, like, the idea of, like, a nap was probably, like, a big deal. <laughs> I want to know, though, if, like, yeah, women really from the farm. Too. There was so much to do, like, yeah. manual labor. How could you not, like, just want to, like, just rest your eyes for a moment? <gasps> I bet they did. But then but they don't have that. Uh, 
I bet blinking for a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah. That was their... <laughs> That's that like this is an 1800s long blinking. But that's like my, I can see it being an when, advertisement. <laughs> have you tried long blinking? Have you tried the long blink? It's, the it's, the new it's all the way. It's like it's all this idea of how you want to live your life. That's yeah. what I think is so interesting. That especially if you look at it generationally, you can see that uh, so much of it has to do with how you're setting up your life, how you want yeah. to live your life. When you talk about self care, like yeah. is it in your best interest to wake up really, really early before the sun gets up to do all your chores and before mm-hmm. it's too hot, or is it in your best interest to take a long lunch and to relax yeah. and mm-hmm. and to uh, socialize with family late into the night? Like all mm-hmm. of those kind of scheduling sort of habits, yeah, like uh, relate to self care in a way that I think is really interesting. Yeah. That is really interesting, and I like the idea of like land. It made me think of. Remember, like, in Jane Austen books, it's like, if you're sick, you go to the sea. Yeah. Yes. That was the self-care. Yeah. Yes. You go to the You go to the, the, you go to the and, yeah. yeah. And that, that's how you got better. Mm-hmm. was, like, ocean air. <laughs> Zing! But true! <laughs> I do. I do think really so. Funny. What's next, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. what? How? How else are we going to need to like respond to what? What kind of responsibility do we have to society? Sure. Right. So, sure. like, I feel like baby boomers feel like, hey, we live in a community. Yeah. You know, there's some things that you do just suck it up. Yeah. Yeah. And get yep. through. I think totally. Gen X is like, put your head down and work. Yeah. Like we'll just work. Yep. If we work hard enough, we'll be able to figure this out. Mm-hmm. If we're just productive enough. Yeah. Then we get tired when we're old, and that's another story. Yeah. yeah. And and I'm curious what you guys think as millennials and what you think <laughs> Gen Z will be like of like how, what is your responsibility like to society in and how it affects self care. Right. Well, I mean, looking at just how the world has changed so quickly in such a short amount of time, I think that's definitely affected millennials. I think we grew up in an era where it's like put on your own face mask before you can help the child. You know, Mm -hmm. before you can help someone else, you first have to help yourself. I feel like that was definitely something as I was getting older that started to resonate. It was like you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of someone else. Yeah. I feel like I didn't really learn that till like my 20s. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of, my adulthood. And But— I was I like I'm raised by boomers, right? Which are like, hey, you work hard, you put, you know, put your head down, don't complain. Mm-hmm. Like I think I definitely grew up kind of like that. But we were we were born in '89, so we're, right. we are like kind of we're middle like, aged. We're, we're too young to be Gen X. Yeah, is that what it is? And the, but then yeah, we're not the forgotten like generation. So that was actually like, very appropriate. Yeah, <laughs> that, I, that I forgot what it was. <laughs> but um, but then I do feel like once I got like into college years and adulthood, and then kids, I do feel like. Maybe in general, our generation just kind of hit like a burnout. Well, and look, and at then you what realize, happened. oh, oh if okay. I'm burned out, then I can't do anything that's helping. Because look at like the whole, you know, economic collapse in 2008. That was yeah, that was right, right when we when were we becoming were, adults. Yeah, like we were we were in college yeah. when the market just crashed, and people were telling us, well, if you go to school and you put in the hard work, you're yeah. going to get a job, and you're going to be house. able to yeah, in a house. like our parents grew up in this very like you know structured 
structured way where it's like these are the things you do and yeah, then success you check will out come the list out. and the and result is yeah, we were the known. guinea pigs of mm. all these things that have you know like September 11th was when we were like in middle school and yep. high school yeah, so it was right. like oh so we could just and, so the, and school shootings yeah and like yeah I think Gen Z is probably that like turn up the volume now with the pandemic but it's like when you when you realize that you can't just do A plus B equals C then you start realizing, okay, well, then I need to figure my own stuff out or life isn't going to hand me the things that people have been telling me it will hand me if I put in these things. That's true. And the more you say that, the more I'm thinking, at least I feel like in the millennial generation, it's like self-care. It also looks like self-work. Yeah. Like like we all recognize like, oh, okay, we we got to like confront like uh millennials do therapy and we we, got to we got to figure our stuff out so we can help other people. I think about our um, nameless, faceless ancestor in the 1800s. Yes. Yes. Who might have experienced, bless her heart, postpartum Mm. depression or isolation or (laughs) anxiety or whatever. Had zero word for it. Other than like going crazy. Yeah, like she needs to be hysteria 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 or whatever. And it was like, that's crazy. And didn't have like the connection and the support and thing and how far we've come. I mean, I think that kind of silences to some extent the critics who've who've gone, you guys are just a bunch of babies, mm-hmm. like toughen up a little bit yep. yeah. as far as self-care to see if like we've overcorrected or or, right. or not generationally. And like, who's the judge of that, right? Yeah. Right. Like, I, I don't even know what if that means anything. And I also wonder if it will just like always and forever be like the generation before whatever generation you're in will always be like, okay, like yeah. you're a li- you're getting a little too much. Like, like talking about ba- balancing right? between like selfish and self-care. If I just wonder if that if the past generation will always be like, well, right, right. <laughs> maybe you're a little more on the selfish side because that's more than I do. At you know the what I mean? Part of it, though, we all want the same thing. Yes. Yeah, you're like, right. You're totally I right. I do like having a conversation where at least we're acknowledging what it was like. Totally. T- you know, because <laughs> the three of us, when I think of us, I think historians first and foremost. <laughs> of course. Right. We've really represented it's my history. First part of my accurately resume. And Fully. Oh, yes. absolutely. So number one. <laughs> but I I do think sort of laughing about it and talking about it cross-generationally gets to, if if you, if it's in a place of sort of love and support, yes. gets yes. to the heart of the matter with it. If I'm having a hard time and I have reached my point of break where I don't know what to do anymore, like everyone, I don't care what generation you totally. are, what age you are, you can relate to, to that. Yes. And then you can like make your life just a little bit better by yeah. saying, well, what did you do this? And like, mm-hmm. it was really hard. I couldn't do anything. Like right. I didn't have the luxury of money to go get this. So I did this instead. Or I, you know, I didn't have a partner who could support me in this. So it was really hard. So I did this instead. Right. And those examples of pivoting, I think cross-generationally, that's what's helped me when I've reached like yeah. my point. I'm thinking, okay, mom, what did you do? When like you haven't experienced exactly what I've experienced, but I know that you've been through a hard time and you didn't, you know, you didn't have a lot of time to yourself. So what did you do? Right. Or, you know, or ask my dad or my grandma or, you know, think back to those examples. I think we undervalue that. We just like I to feel, put I everybody agree. in their little, well, boomers are going to say this. Totally. Gen X is sure. going to complain about being forgotten. You're right. And millennials, well, they just indulge. And, they, you know, and, and yeah. once we stereotype like that, we really miss out on, like, the nuggets of, totally. like, well, you're right. gold. And that's coming, I but think, from a place where we're probably a little, like, scared of what that means about us, right? I know that Ooh. when my dad gets a little, like, millennial snowflake on me. Yeah. 
I know that it's probably coming from a place where I think he's afraid to admit, like, that he's having a hard time or he's maybe afraid what it means about him. Like, does that mean that he's emotionally stunted and he, he wasn't a good yeah, dad? Yeah, criticism or, about him. Exactly. And, yeah, and when I fire back, I think I'm probably coming from a place of fear where it's like, well, I, I am, I'm not being selfish. I'm not. And I'm not, like, ruining my kids' lives by taking some time for me to get my stuff figured out. It's This is all productive. And I fire back. So I think if mm. we are putting people into boxes, that definitely, to me, says something more about where we are coming from Mm. and if we can recognize like there's nothing threatening here we are all progressing and we're all we're all going through basically a similar life sure there's lots of different variables inside but we all go through loss we all go through transitions we all go through these things that we can then connect to each other then we don't have anything to defend anymore right we can just like basically put it on the table and and have them put it on the table. And that does happen sometimes. Well, and I love the connections and the experiences we can have from like, not just our relatives, but that's at least been my personal experience of like, I have a grandma who raised kids. Like she's already done what I'm in the middle of. And she's so wise. And to be able to just like, what a, what a blessing and a treat that I can just call her and be like, Hey, when your kids started middle school, was that crazy? And she'll be like, Oh "Oh, yeah. Just to hear that they're, they're going through the same mental exercises that I am now in this phase of life. Like, Oh man, it's so valuable to be able to have people in your life that have already walked that path. Yeah. I felt that, you know, when my husband died and I became a widow and I was like, oh, my grandma was a widow yeah. and she was around my age. And wow. my great grandma was too. Wow. And I asked my mom, I said, you know, when my my grandma didn't talk about the, you know, emotional aspect of right. it a lot, sure. I, I understand why, but I yeah. wish I had more. Yeah. And my great grandma had some diaries, and I told my mom, oh my you got to give them to me. What I a treasure. I get my like, hands honestly. on these. Yes. I got them on, read her account of what life was like when her husband died and oh what she did with the kids and after in a new light, and I felt a new connection to her. Like, it was wow. spiritual. No kidding. It, I That's felt really such, incredible. like, strength, and I felt connected to these strong women yeah. who were, like, and because I knew my grandma, even though she hadn't written a lot about it, she'd written a little, and I knew her. So I knew what yeah. she did, and yeah. I knew how she reacted to it. And then I didn't know my great-grandmother um, on my other—it was on a, on the other side of the family. But when I was reading her, I thought—I felt a connection to her. And oh, I, yeah. I, and again, across the generational, instead of making these, like, divides, I'm like, ooh, we're missing the whole point. Totally. Oh, yeah. And You're especially, totally right. like, with— with like this wisdom that you learn about how life changes and what you need changes at different times of your Mm -hmm. life. Like we Mm -hmm. need each other. You know what, this this reminds me so much of just this idea that I love thinking about, which, I mean, you know, we, we talk so much about um, progressing even after we die and how families are linked forever. I think too that like our families are learning from each other even after death. And so we can be learning from our ancestors and our ancestors actually, I think, can be learning from us and can be actually like looking at what we're going through and they can still be progressing. But I, I had someone talking to me basically about this idea that we can be basically meeting our, our ancestors and we bring a, a limiting belief and they bring a limiting belief and together we kind of can put those puzzle pieces together and solve something that maybe has been passed down 
in our DNA, really. I mean, we know that generational trauma exists. And so to really be able to work together with our family, with people coming before us to say like, hey, you have a piece of the puzzle and I have a piece of the puzzle. So actually we can both work together and come to an understanding and make wisdom out of this. I think it's so beautiful. So beautiful. And I know that we all share like a similar faith tradition in that like our families are connected Mm -hmm. for eternities. And why wouldn't they be involved in mm-hmm. our lives? Right. Totally. Why would that suddenly change when they die? Right. I, I really just don't think it stops. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that there there's a beautiful there's a beauty in that. And there's like this spiritual element to self care of self identity and knowing that yeah. you belong. Yeah. That you have these people, family members cheering you on, just like you're cheering on your kids. And like I don't have grandchildren yet, but I love. My grandchildren, like oh, it's totally. this weird yeah. thing. It's like my body's getting ready. Like I want grandchildren so I bad, but my kids are in no way or near. Like this is not. <laughs> right, right, right. But like but I do or say or write things for them. Mm-hmm. So, do you think my grandparents do? Of course they. Like yeah, of yeah. course. Of course. Yeah. It's just there's there's a lot of beauty in that. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't think that. that this was where this conversation. I know. Was Sorry, I kind of took it onto a different. I love it. A different path, but, but I, I think it. it's. I think the generational, the things we can learn from generations is so fun, and I really do. It makes me. I'm gonna go home and call my grandma and be like, Grandma, when you had five minutes Aww. alone, what would you, what would you do to recharge? And I'm. I bet she's gonna say I would hide in the pantry and find chocolate. I'm. I'm almost Ugh. positive. And which I also love because I do. But that I don't too. care. I love oh. it. I think it's so great. That is such a good question, and I would like, man, I. I wish I could ask several generations back of like, hey, you have five minutes. What are you going to do? Yeah. See, <laughs> the we 1800s stuff down for our kids. We, I, I think know. we do. And for our grandkids. But I, I love the idea of 1800s prudence being like, I'm going to the outhouse for we five know. minutes. <laughs> At the beginning of the no. day before it gets stinky. Yes. Or I'm walking to go get the chicken eggs, but I'm taking the long way. Taking my and time. No, don't come with me. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody touch me. <laughs> My grandma, Margaret, was a little girl during the Depression, and they didn't really have a lot. And growing up, my mother told me the story that when she was a little girl, that she would, every once in a while, be able to steal away a little moment in this big family with a lot going on, not a lot of resources. And because she didn't want to, you know, bother her parents for you know, a little treat or whatever, found her own. So she would mix a little bit of cocoa with a little bit of sugar and some water or milk and make kind of a little bit of a chocolate sludge (laughs) and drink it. And I love this story. My grandmother, Margaret, died when I was in college. So I only really knew her as a you know, I, I didn't know her as as a real adult <laughs> or a mother. Um, I had limited experience, but when I was a little girl and we would go to visit her from, we'd drive in our station wagon from Nebraska to Utah where she lived and we would stay with her for a couple of weeks in the summer. She would have chocolate bars hidden in her house and she would kind of pull me aside and say, hey, you want a bar? You want a bar? And and she used to do that with all of her grandkids and and slip us a chocolate bar. And so you knew you could always get a chocolate treat from grandma, which was so great. And then when it was time for us to pile back into the station wagon and drive home to Nebraska, she always handed us a big block of fudge, of her homemade fudge. 
Uh, again, chocolate as this way just to sort of connect it. So chocolate reminds me of my grandma so much. And I think it's so interesting that as a young girl, she needed to feel safe. She needed to feel that kind of self-care that we're all looking for, right, in moments where we feel like, you know, things around us are going maybe a little too crazy. You know, there's lots of kids running around or or the demands of of, of life are just you know, feeling weird because you're growing up and that's hard. And she found this this unique way just to have a little treat. And to me, she figured out that's what self-care is. And isn't it funny that now I'm thinking about this decades later and it's almost like it gives me permission to say, okay, this is a universal feeling that's, you know, for everybody also found in my own family. And and finding that thing doesn't only make you feel safe and make you feel cared for, but it also gives the people around you permission to find their thing as well. It's not about the chocolate. In fact, I was talking about this story to my mom just the other day, and she said, you know, it's interesting because when she got older, I noticed that she didn't really eat a lot of chocolate, and I asked her about it, and she said, oh, I kind of like lost the taste for it. And that surprised me because I just always associate that with her. But that's another interesting thing about self-care, right? It changes as our lives change. And again, I love that I know that about her because it's almost like it gives me permission to sort of change and adapt and actually anticipate that self-care will change during different times of my life. Chocolate is such a cliche self-care item, right? Like a tub of ice cream when you're feeling sad. It's become such a joke, but it's not about the chocolate, right? It's just about finding that thing that makes you feel nurtured and cared for and just emphasizes that emotional health. Like, yes, I am safe. All is well. This episode is dedicated to all of the self-care pioneers. Prudence, Grandma Margaret, the genius who invented cheese fries, and everyone whose ritual may be lost to time, but who paved the way for us today to go to therapy and be able to talk about it. And since it's impossible to learn everything you need to take care of yourself from the generation before you, count yourself on that list. If you're making it up, you're doing it right. We've just gotten started unraveling self-care and there's so much coming up that I can't really wait to share it with you. We've just gotten started unraveling self-care and there is so much coming up that I can't wait to share with you. If something you heard today stuck out to you or gave you an idea, I would love to hear about it. You know where to find me. See you next week. The Lisa Show is a production of BYU Radio. It's hosted by Lisa Valentine Clark and produced by McKay Menden and Becca Hurley with music and post-production by Sam Clausen. If you like the show, make sure to leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you have questions for the Council of Moms, you can connect with us on Instagram and Facebook. Next week on The Lisa Show. One thing I have to do is remember that everything starts with me. In my head, I'm telling myself, carry on, you're probably going to mess up. You're probably going to screw up quite a few things with these kids. And they're probably one day going to look at you and be like, why didn't you tell me? Mm -hmm. Why didn't you teach me? And that's okay because my parents made mistakes too. And I'm still awesome. (laughs) Just letting it go because they're going to scream and pout about things. That is not a reflection of me and my parenting. 
That's next week on The Lisa Show. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.